Howdy meeps, and welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Now. <laughs> okay, welcome to Meeples of Syrup. And today on the show, we have Nick Nazaro. That's two Zs and one R. And also one O and two A's and one N. Nazaro. I guess it's like in a right order. This game. Yes. And there, that's how you spell it, right? Right there. I mean, the, the order is wrong, but yeah, that's the general gist. Yeah, excellent. Let's ask him all those questions you wanted. Yeah, so in <laughs> fact, our first question from the audience, Daniel Zayas, who the F is this? Nick, who the F are you? Uh, it depends who's asking, and since I know who's asking, I, I can't give a good answer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm an artist, and I'm co-owner of Layways Games, uh, which is a you know, tabletop game publishing company. We make some cool games like Dragoon, Life Siphon, and Human Era, and Metal, and Heads Will Roll, and I make all the art for uh, all of the above. And how long has Lay Waste been making games? Uh, our first Kickstarter, which is basically the, our beginning, was February of 2015. Awesome. So and you're currently live on Kickstarter. Well, you're live with us here, but you've got Life Siphon on Kickstarter right now, if I remember correctly. So uh, can you give us a quick spiel about what Life Siphon is about? So once we start talking about it, our viewers will have a sense of uh, what's going on with the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, two to four player combat strategy game. You all play a cursed human underground that have been forced there by dragons because all our games share like a, share a single universe. And what's happening is you have these newfound abilities that you've been cursed with, but you have to destroy the player to your left, and the first person to destroy the player to their left wins a game. And you can only attack the person to your left, so you're defending to your right. Uh, and because of that, you're sometimes helping the player to your right who is trying to kill you, but you need to be the first to destroy someone before anyone else. Otherwise, you know, you lose, which is no good. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it's on Kickstarter right now, and I think it ends shortly. It ends, like, tomorrow at midnight. So very, very shortly. Oh, so this jump. is pretty timely. Yeah, jump yeah, on that really if you love what you're hearing. Yeah, I'm going to actually show the page. So you guys keep talking. Yeah, that'll Sweet. be perfect. Because one of, the, one of the things that sort of draws my eye to Lay Waste is just like the really cool uh, visual style, like all of your games. And it makes sense now that we know that there's one person behind that. And so is there is that is that just your style or is that something that you sort of created as part of the layways the universe that these games share? Um it's a healthy mix. It's definitely not this identical style to what I use in my own personal work. I do try to come up with like a unique style to every game that kind of matches the theme and our what we expect the audience will be, uh what we think will make the game stand out as well as possible. It's so like Dragoon is a very traditional in the sense that like it's you know it's dragons it's fantasy it's it's tried and true classic uh starting point um the gameplay mechanics definitely mix it up a little bit and we wanted the aesthetic to be very different uh a lot more modern you know there's some kind of retro vibes in there but it's definitely not your highly rendered typical fantasy kind of game it's very uh angular and that was very deliberate 
Yeah, cool. And and then the other the other thing that's part of the aesthetic style of Layways games, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think all of your games have metal pieces in them to some degree or another. Yeah, to some degree or another. That's uh that's pretty true. It varies. I think so metal is like the most metal game ever in that every single piece of it is made out of metal, including the box. The box is metal. And uh, That's so metal. The least metal one, I think, is Human Era, where it has only a couple pieces that can be metal, but nothing has to be metal. Oh, we're going to definitely have to hear more about an entire metal game and what that took to actually get into production. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, because I think we're going to... Yeah, um, yeah, that's a whole show. <laughs> <laughs> we're always fascinated to hear what happens when you try to uh what, what happens when you have a component you want to make that is not out there you know what i mean like you are the first necessary like to kind of to do it so it's always a good story on <laughs> what that ends up looking like oh absolutely yeah and metal in particular you know gave us a bunch of challenges i'm not <laughs> even the most familiar with them within our own company but it's it, it was it was tough but it, it didn't really you know, take too long. It's in production right now, and I think that it's almost done. It should be coming out in the next uh, couple months, I believe. So it's good to hear for backers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So we we have a question from the audience, and we always let them interrupt us. So uh, I apologize if I pronounce your name wrong, but Aijin Han is asking who inspires you. Who inspires me? Like uh, artistically, which artists out there inspire me? That would be my guess because we were talking yeah. about uh, your yeah, graphic design. Yeah, um, there's a lot. I definitely spend a lot of time on Instagram and Twitter finding you know new artists and and artists who are just working in very different fields than I work in. There's some overlap, but uh, a lot of comic artists, a lot of traditional illustrators. Uh, Pam Wishbow, I think her stuff is amazing. I love looking at her stuff, and I'm just waiting for someone to hire her to make like a witchy game because all her stuff is so spooky and hexy and witchy and it's all amazing. I own a bunch of her prints. <laughs> so she's a, she's a big inspiration. Alison Bamcat. I love how colorful her stuff is. Uh, a lot of weird surreal stuff in, in her work. And now she's doing like huge murals. So her stuff is excellent. Andrew McLean. I've always liked his stuff. I, I got to hang out with him a little bit back when I lived in Massachusetts and he makes Headlopper, which is a crazy successful comic and, I, I just love his line weight and just how he, he goes about it. Um, and I know that like he studied, uh, uh, I think songwriting. He graduated with a songwriting degree and then went on to just make his own comic out of nowhere. And it's like a huge, tremendous success. So I really like that story as well. Yeah, you've definitely got a, a very retro vibe, but you've got a bit of a, like almost kind of like that Penny Dreadful meets almost like a Jack Kirby sort of thing where I, you can see the the influence of the, that classic sci-fi horror kind of going on there. Yeah, I think that it's uh, another thing that lends itself to, to making my stuff look kind of older is I really limit my, my palettes and my methods so it doesn't look too overly digital it's not very polished like a lot of modern art is it's a uh, definitely i try to keep it a little bit more crude is the wrong word but it's more minimal and that's like by design and because of that i think it, it kind of can come off as this could have been accomplished years ago so it's got some retro vibes because of that mm -hmm. I think there's a, a longer lasting quality feel that comes sometimes from that. There's something about when something's familiar, you're almost like, well, this would just be able to hang on longer or keep going. 
Yeah, so Sen's got the uh, the Kickstarter page up, and he's scrolling through it and showing people what's going on with it there. So this feels like a timely moment to ask you about penguins, um, because <laughs> penguins, Sorry. I mean, I don't know, April 1st, Sen, oh, he hit the penguins on the page. Penguins, $12 yeah. add-on. Tell us about the penguins. I'll let you tell the story, because apparently right, there's more so to the it. penguins go way back. Uh so in our quest to make Dragoon look different in our very first Kickstarter in 2015, uh, they're very angular, they're very sharp. They don't look like dragons normally would look in a lot of ways. And I got a little one in my hand. This is a little, where's my camera? There we go. Yeah, we... A little dragon piece. It's not gonna focus, but it's very angular. And uh, during the Kickstarter, they uh, someone in the comments, said that it looked more like a penguin than a dragon, which we thought was <laughs> really funny. <laughs> and we still think it was really funny. So our campaign overlapped with April 1st. So our first April Fool's prank was that we were changing Dragoon to Penguin because <laughs> <laughs> we got the metal uh, pieces back and they were all penguins instead of dragons. Uh, so we did some like really quick additional art that made the game look playable. We made up some really ridiculous rules about throwing like penguin eggs at each other and ice breaking and it was total ridiculousness. But then like our fans <laughs> were really into the idea of penguin. Unfortunately, we never like, you know, took it too seriously. We weren't gonna actually make it, that was ridiculous. But then this campaign came along like four years later and we realized we're also gonna overlap with April 1st again. And life siphon so easily translates into ice siphon. <laughs> so we decided to make a <laughs> Just penguin keep it rolling. So like like a, yeah, exactly. So we have like a, a a penguin, a new board that's made for penguins. We we drew a couple of penguin meeples, and the reaction was very immediate and very strong. And I would say half our comments on the Kickstarter are about the stupid penguin. <laughs> So, so it's just a meeple, and we're like, okay, let's let's roll with this. So now I think every backer is now getting one free penguin meeple. I love how gonna... it's like one of these things is not like the other. Dragon, fire, whatever the crazy looking gray thing is, penguin. <laughs> yeah, penguin. Yep, yep. Does not uh, does not really match well, but yeah, now the penguins are a thing, and. Uh, because of it, we're gonna everyone we're like taking house rule like pitches and we're gonna figure out which ones are best and we're gonna put them out there and hopefully everyone will dig that. But yeah, penguins were not supposed to be real, but pe the people have spoken. Now they the are. are people are saying there should be more penguins in games, no matter what yeah. the game is. Somehow Apparently, penguins are possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people April first since twenty fifteen for a penguin game, so we really Thanks. should just like listen to what the fans yeah. are saying and make it happen. <laughs> I'm I'm calling it April first, twenty twenty. Lay Waste launches a Kickstarter for Pangoon, the game that everybody <laughs> actually wanted. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, you're gonna have to be right. We really, we really should do that. Yep. Jesse that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That 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 story is actually better than I was expecting. I thought it was just an April Fool's joke that went sideways on you, but it turns out it's a really long running April Fool's joke that went sideways it's on like you. Nearly half a decade of bad April Fool jokes culminating to this little wooden penguin. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, hey, they're gonna make a giant I one to bring with you to conventions and have it booze. We're gonna make a giant one out of gold. 
and it's going to be a trophy <laughs> for whoever whoever has the best house rules. It's going to get like because we have a I don't think I even have one here, but we have a dragon that's like six inches tall and it's like plated with real gold. So we're going to do something silly like that. Oh, you really are doing this. This isn't more jokes. Yeah, no, no, I'm out of jokes. That's a hundred percent real. <laughs> I was gonna say this sounds thing. like an adventure moment. You remember the like the games that were gonna be released that if you beat one, you could get that like crazy prize, but it was so expensive they only got through the first prize and only like technically made the second. <laughs> yeah, like, like I feel I feel like we're having an Atari rewind moment here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, okay, we're, so uh, we're a crazy company. Then and that 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 sounds true. Um, but it's awesome. Like we love it. Um, so continuing on this thread of penguins, but maybe trying to get back into to something you'd said before. You'd said that all of the lay waste games take place in the same universe. So can you tell us a bit about that 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 world that you guys are building, and also the significance of penguins within it? So penguins should not be significant in it. Uh, that's purely by accident. But they can't be like our overlords like dolphins in uh, Tiger's Guide. I think like I think we're gonna <laughs> hit the future and it's gonna be like post-apocalyptic all the dragons are gone and dead but penguins have reigned supreme uh it's like penguin mad max course of action yeah <laughs> um but yeah we so our first game was about dragons and it was in this world that wasn't too heavily defined like we give some lore but it's not too fleshed out but then our next game is uh human error which is a time traveling game and because it's time travel literally it can you know be in the same universe no matter what because anything is possible with time travel. So because of that, you know, same universe. And there's some hints, there's some little uh, Easter eggs in the in the game of Human Era, in the art itself of uh, Dragon's existence. Um, like there's a dragon skull on someone's bookshelf in their garage or something like that, uh, as well as a couple other things. And then we released Head Will Roll, which is a little dexterity game where, and that's like directly part of Dragoon. It's like, it's technically it's Dragoon, Head Will Roll. And that's where you're flicking skull, uh, human skulls. Uh, and this is like a game that the dragons would play. <laughs> and if they like land a certain way and you flick the skulls between the other skulls, it gets you more points. And it's a really fun, tiny little uh, dexterity game that does actually really well at cons. People love playing it because it's, it's all of 30 seconds to play. And it's uh, no matter what, it's a good time. It's neat to think all these different games to fit in the same kind of universe. Yeah, yeah, it was um, definitely something that I don't know. We we like toyed around with the idea of of a shared universe, and then when we were coming up with Life Siphon, it's like you know just let's keep it going. The the it's... game has really nothing to do with dragons except that that's kind of like what got us into this predicament. Like, why are humans underground and why are they dealing with magic? And it's because they're hiding from the dragons, uh, of the dragons of Dragoon. So this is like years after humans have landed on the island of, of Dragoon and they're getting conquered constantly and beat up, uh, which is how every time you've played Dragoon, you've, you've hurt the, the humans and these are the humans that are hurt and now <laughs> cursed to be underground. <laughs> so it's all your fault. So this, this current game then solidified the idea that everything officially now is in the same world or were you already building towards that? It was like in the back of our minds, but I think it's like most apparent, uh, and most deliberate in this new game. Okay. Other than Heads Will Roll, which is basically 100% the same universe. What's the name of the shared universe? Oh, uh, the lay, the lay waste of verse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, nothing official yet. 
they're I guess they're naming it. Maybe after like officially this Kickstarter is done, maybe the fans can yeah. help you name this new world. Yeah, we should put it out there. Get a poll going. We'll just let uh, we'll let the fans do everything. We're gonna become one of those companies, and we'll just have a brand new name for our universe, and everything will be about penguins. It's gonna be the great. Yeah, it'll be it'll be Penguin McPenguin Face. That's what your universe will be called. <laughs> exactly. The Penguverse. I would actually watch that. Then. The Penguverse. Oh yeah. Especially with the claymation, like the original Pengu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, Peter Bond is saying that you should do an RPG deck. RPG decks. It's off. <laughs> I said I should do an it's RPG really deck. Yeah, you oh. know, he's saying you should do an RPG now within your universe. Hmm. It's a good idea. I'll have to. I'll, I'll uh, pass that along to the team. We're definitely considering a lot of potentials for our next few games. We try to plan pretty well in advance, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities, and I think they're all pretty exciting. Nothing I can share right now, but an RPG would be pretty pretty cool. And outside of Layways games, I do sometimes illustrate other games as of pretty recently, and I did actually just wrap up uh, finishing a bunch of illustrations for a new RPG game coming out. I think either later this year or early next year probably later this year on Kickstarter, and it's called uh, The Miri. So pay attention to that, because that one, uh, it's going to look really good. And I've played it a couple times, and it's really, really fun. Awesome. I feel like we are gonna we should rewind, and we can go back right now, because I think it would be good to kind of end up here again. Kind of like, what were your favorite games growing up? And then maybe how did that link you to where you are, like the path you sort of headed down? Cool, yeah. I was really into video games as a kid, for sure. I didn't really get a system until the N64, and I was really into was uh, Pokemon Snap. I loved the crap out of Pokemon Snap. I don't know what was so fun about that on-rails game where you're just trying to get, like, the perfect photo and you're throwing things at, like, Magmar, hoping he would turn around and he would get the Charizard in the distance just right. But that was a, uh, <laughs> a fun time. Uh, in terms of board games, I don't even think I really played board games growing up. Uh, probably, probably not at all. I kind of got into board games completely by accident. It was not on purpose. Uh, it was not <laughs> something I was trying to do. Uh, the story of Layways Games and how I <laughs> came to be in this this weird marriage is that basically this guy in Massachusetts, Jake Given. He and his brother uh, came up with Dragoon, and their childhood best friend, John Ritter Roderick, decided, like, we're going to put this on Kickstarter. We want to we wanna make this happen. It's a good enough idea for a game that it deserves the attention of the Kickstarter community. We'll see if they want to throw their support into this, and maybe it'll become a reality. And I don't think they knew many artists. And <laughs> John knew of me. We, he helped me, like, hang my art in a cafe in Boston one time. So he just knew of me because of that. So he hit me up and was like, hey, you want to uh, play this game and, and see what you think about doing all the art? And so I did. And um, we got together and I got to play it. And he asked me if I wanted to do all the art. And I think I originally said no. <laughs> uh, it, I was like, this doesn't seem like a good fit for me. Uh, let's talk later, maybe. But something happened. I don't even remember what. But eventually what occurred is we worked out a deal that benefited everyone really well. So that I did do all the art and I became uh, a co-owner of the company. 
and we stuck together because of the success of the first game on Kickstarter. We raised like $90,000 and we were Ooh. only <laughs> wanting to raise, I think, 9000 And we thought like maybe we would hit that. I, we really had no idea what we were doing at the time. So once that took off in a way that we really didn't expect, um, all of a sudden we we decided oh we have to we have to take this more seriously. We have to keep making games and we have to make an expansion and well we've done all that. Uh, but yeah, completely by accident. Was not looking to get into games. <laughs> it's always the funnier stories when people are like not like oh yeah I was doing this so long just to get in. You're like. I don't know what happened. It just sort of did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, well, yeah. I mean, I was doing art. So as an illustrator, I was like, I could do anything if someone asked me to. I can make anything look good. And it ended up being games pretty early into my career. I think I had, was just out of school at that point, maybe a year out of school. Uh, up until then, I was trying to do like editorial illustration for magazines. That was way more up my alley and games didn't have a ton of appeal to me because like none of the artists I admired were making tabletop art. They were like making magazine art, but I mm -hmm. thought that it was a good opportunity to maybe insert some like a, like a fresh new look into the world of, of board games. And I think that uh, that must've been true to a degree because Dragoon found some pretty immediate success given that we were absolute nobodies. We had no following know nothing and all of a sudden it like caught on with the kickstarter community and people at kickstarter and uh people with like cards against humanity were reaching out to us and helping us in in at sh get into shows and stuff it was a it was a wild ride in the very beginning that's that's amazing set of connections i mean a lot of things get put up on kickstarter and just get ignored i mean the fact that companies reach out to you is uh i mean in itself a pretty impressive story Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it's a different time, too. 2015, it was a lot less competitive. Nowadays, there's so many games every single day on Kickstarter. But back just a few years ago, it was definitely easier, I think, to stand out. So we benefited from our timing as well. Yeah, so um, so it just seems like a good moment to transition into talking about illustration a little bit more generally for you. Um, you said you got out of school into doing game design illustrations. Is that right? Um, is that the domain that you've always worked in or do you have sort of experience and, and work from other, uh, other areas outside of tabletop? Oh yeah. It's, uh, I mean, my experience is all over the place. I, um, originally thought I was going to be doing a lot more magazine work and that didn't work out. That, that type of work is really tough. You know, you work really hard to get a job that lasts two days. Uh, Cause any illustration and for a magazine, your turnaround is, uh, you know, give me a sketch in 24 hours and then give me the final in another 24 hours. Uh, but I've done work for, I might be doing work for a video game pretty soon. I've done a lot of TV animation work for the last couple years. Uh, a lot of apparel, a lot of merch kind of stuff all over the place. The TV animation stuff has been, you know, the bulk of my work the last three years. I've been living in Los Angeles working on uh, TV shows like Unikitty and uh, Harmon Quest and Animals uh, and some other ones. One of them, <laughs> the name I like always forget, but something on Adult Swim. Oh, Tender Touches. Tender Touches on Adult Swim, which is pretty funny. But Animals on HBO is the funniest show I've worked on, probably. Well, I don't know about, well, probably. Harmon Quest is pretty great, though. It's got to be in very different worlds. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite different. 
<laughs> but uh, I really, I like working all over the place. I think it's a, one of the real benefits and one of the most appealing aspects of being an illustrator is that you can work in so many different industries as an artist. Um, and it's really difficult, I think, to work in a few of them at the same time. <laughs> but I'm trying. I, I, I was always advised not to try to do that, but uh, it's working to, you know, a pretty good degree. Is it that the expectations are different or the scheduling is different? Like what makes them not really compatible? Um, that they all take so much effort to get into. So to get into multiple at the same time is a real uphill battle. You, you pretty much do need a very separate portfolio for whatever mm -hmm. industry you're trying to get into. You need a very, very different portfolio for getting into editorial illustration than anything in TV animation. And that's going to look very different than if you're doing like uh, kids lit publishing or uh, tabletop games. They're all just very different uh, fields of art. And it takes a lot of time to make art. It takes a lot of practice to make anything worth showing. So you're kind of doing the tasks of several artists at the same time if you're trying to work in several industries. Uh, sometimes there's like really good and easy overlap, but that's not always the case. Like you can have one style that applies to, you know, a young adult book that also would apply to a video game that would also apply to like an RPG. But um, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> more difficult in a different way. Uh, no, it's it's an interesting thing. It relates to kind of a discussion I, I remember having with someone recently about actually game design. Like as a designer, uh, do you focus kind of on being known for something or is it okay to kind of just do a little bit of everything? Because there's kind of arguments for both camps. Like, as you said, like, do you sort of work up to have a portfolio in one way or is it just kind of be like, no, no, no. I just like kind of doing a little bit of everything, but obviously maybe you're doing more work to do that. But yeah, uh, I think I think there's a lot of parallels to that. Should you be focused or not? Yeah, and I think that <laughs> conventional wisdom says that you should be focused and it's, it's easier to be focused. You'll probably find better results if you're focused, uh, but I'm not focused. <laughs> I, I can't function like that either. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, despite, <laughs> despite how much of a good idea I know it is, uh, like I would probably have a great career in the world of TV animation if I did only that, mm. you know, but, you know, I want to do a bunch. <laughs> I want to do all sorts of things. So then what's drawing you to games? Because as you said, you didn't really grow up that way, but obviously you're not willing to give it up. So like what's sort of that switch that'd be like, no, no, no I want, I want to do game art. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a real, so in TV animation, in a lot of ways, you're like a cog in a wheel. There's an entire team, and it's fulfilling, and it's great. you got to be part of a cool show that everyone really loves, that, that millions of people watch, and, and that's a really cool experience. And the pay is great. Uh, <laughs> and then in tabletop, the, a big difference is that, you know, you're completely responsible oftentimes for the entire start to finish and the, the look of this game because – most games are done by like a single artist, you know, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but it's almost very often it's only one person. So when that's out in the wild, it's, it's like, that's entirely mine and I get to take all that credit and that's really cool. But I think also a big part of it is just being in the game industry sort of out of necessity because of the uh, initial success of Dragoon. I've got to experience how great a, a community it is. I get to go to a lot of conventions 
get to meet a lot of cool people. Um, I really love going to conventions and hanging out with a bunch of people that I know in the industry. And it's always a good time. And then I get to play a bunch of cool games. Uh, there's there's nothing not to like about it. So it, it would be really difficult to give up. But I think at the same time, it'd be really difficult to do exclusively. So I don't think I would ever see myself doing it exclusively. And I don't think I would ever not do it again. I would like to continue to do it. <laughs> no, I get it. It's, it's the payoffs are different. Obviously, you as you kind of said, you're doing this one almost to be part of community, but that doesn't necessarily mean that can be a career <laughs> full time. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're making less to earn something in a different way, uh, which actually yeah. might kind of lead into a bit of a question here from Brad, uh, kind of talking about the difference between the two is he says, are the unique challenges when designing art for board games that you don't encounter when doing art for other mediums? So besides just having that community, is there something else you're kind of getting out of board gaming that you just don't get that, you know, drawing a cartoon? Yeah, there's certain uh, challenges and different layers of, of fulfillment from all sorts of different, you know, ways about creating your art. In, in games, there are different challenges for sure. Uh, dealing with anything that needs to be physically printed is, is a lot more challenging than stuff that ends up on TV. There's a lot more forgiveness with uh, that stuff that's not going to be printed and looked at up closely. And the, the way the TV animation pipeline works, I'm not, I don't share as much responsibility for everything. Like mm -hmm. uh, I touch it, it looks good. And then someone else touches it and it continues to look good. But you know, there's missteps along the way. It's nobody's fault. Things just happen. Eventually, it's going to look great on TV, no matter what. There's so many people involved. And with games, a lot more is on my shoulders to make sure that the game comes out looking good. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a pro and a con, because I, I really do like saying that it's cool to say that I helped make Harmon Quest Season 3, but, you know, I helped make it. A bunch of us did. But for, like, a game like Dragoon, I can say that I am solely responsible for that game looking good, in addition to, like, you know, Pat Fahey, who's a 3D modeler, and Raquel, who is uh, our graphic designer. But by and large, you know, all the art at least is mine. So I get to take that and own that. And that's a, that's a good feeling. And it's it's cool to be at conventions. And I just get to, to hear, like, the most, <laughs> the warmest welcome from so many fans about how much they like the art and how much uh, they enjoy the game because, of, because it looks good or they got it because it looks good. And they're so glad that the game is really fun to play. And I get to sign a bunch of boxes. Makes me feel a little bit like a like a tabletop rock star, which is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> I'll take it. That's awesome. I, I think it's a sense of a bit, a bit kind of this idea of completionist. Like obviously, we're gonna show your part's done. That's it, right? Like you get to kind of take something to a finish line. And I guess the nice thing is a bit of ownership too. As you said, it's it's like you get to be part of all the different aspects of this project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like with with uh, like a TV show, my end date is here, and they still have to animate it for another six months. It'll be on TV eventually. I'll see my name in the credits, and that's a cool moment. But yeah, with with games, you know, you're you're there from start to finish, and you're there, like when the uh, in my unique position of being part of the owner of the company, I'm there before we even like really know what the game's about, you know, and I get to have influence in, in, in that and shape that and help with uh, all sorts of aspects that go beyond 
just making the art, which is really cool. So being an owner of a Layways Games is also an especially cool thing. Have there have there been moments where projecting out, thinking about what the game is going to look like, has affected feedback and direction that you've provided at earlier stages of the design process on a on a project? Um, yeah, I think that can definitely happen. I, the when we're trying to like hone in on a theme, the, some of the art will get done before the theme is completely fleshed out, and you know, we might have like a few different directions of a style and that art all of a sudden can be sort of inspiring to the rest of the team. And then that might affect how the theme evolves and what directions we go into. Uh, and it can change mechanics and mechanics can, art, art can very easily, uh, will have to change if mechanics change. And sometimes we've looked at things for the reverse reasons, like the art was so cool in this way what are some mechanics we can get to uh, to make that work? Interesting. Um, you don't usually hear it from that that direction. You we, we we usually have an argument between like theme versus mechanic. Let alone like no no this piece of art dictated the mechanic. <laughs> I kind of I well, kind of like that. Yeah, I mean art can definitely be inspiring. I think that um, I've heard stories about uh, root root had mechanics in place but no real theme. And a lot of that was built around uh, Kyle's art. Kyle just draws a lot of uh, woodland creatures out of, like for fun <laughs> all the time. And I think that Root and its success it owes him a lot. That was, a lot of that was based on Kyle Farron's work. That's fair, because it's a fairly abstract yeah. game. And so you, yeah, and you Scythe was sort of like that, right? It. Like uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, he, uh, he licensed the art. This was art that was like already done by some Polish artist whose name I can't pronounce, something like that. So yeah, it, it happens every now and then. Cool. And yeah, we've got a, a shout out here from uh, from Marshall. Uh, Marshall Britt says uh, Nick designs a design a pin for us, and he was amazing to work with. And we did should give a quick shout out because anyone who goes to your website will see you do have pins that you guys make and pin collections. Uh, oh, yeah. You really Actually, do want to do a little that. bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I make a lot, a lot of pins these days, and I have uh, probably a lot more coming out soon. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the works. Yeah, my days are pretty wild. <laughs> I I got a, I I don't know. This feels too much like a like a humble brag, but like just today, I probably picked up like two more jobs, and yesterday I picked up like three jobs, and so there's a lot of illustrating going on. <laughs> there you go. We have uh, a question, I guess, quickly from the audience, if you're, if you're interested. This is top three favorite board games. I think maybe they mean currently, maybe they mean of all time. I'm not really sure. But we give a little a quick turn to, like, what kind of what kind of games are you interested in? Is that is that also how you, what drew you to certain games in the first place? Let's go down that venue. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, what are my favorites? Uh... I would have to say Secret Hitler is definitely one of the games I've had the most fun with. And I do totally have a soft spot for uh, sillier party games. Those are just like my most fun experiences. I do not have the attention span <laughs> to sit down and play like a three hour game. And I okay. never have. And I don't think I ever will. Maybe one day actually uh, someone can convince me to do it. But so far, I haven't. I like to play quick, quicker games. So I love, I love uh, Secret Hitler a lot. 
is it the bluffing aspect of it? Is the lying? Like what part exactly is it? I'm curious. Um, the bluffing, the lying, the deception, it's all good. I think you just that, love all I, of it. Okay. Yeah. I I've only had good experiences with it. I've only, I've only played it. I've played that game probably more than any other game ever. And it's almost always been with like nine or 10 people. Cause I'm playing it like at every convention, like several times a night. <laughs> So I've had nothing but good times. And I was on the Celebrity Secret Hitler panel at, I don't know, PAX West of last year or something like that. And that was so much fun. So I love the crap out of that game. And really whatever Tommy Moranges makes, he makes uh, Inhuman Conditions, which is a, was a really cool two-player game. Probably like one of the coolest two-player games you can play. Have you guys heard of that? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, no. it's like so Blade Runner. It's just, it's one-on-one. -on -one and you're interrogating the other person, and you're trying to determine if they're a human or a machine. Uh, and they might be like a deadly robot, and it's only five minutes, and it's on a timer, and you have a set of rules, and they have a set of rules. It's really, really good. Uh, so you really like that, salmon, that traitor mechanic? Happy I, I Salmon hear... is amazing. <laughs> happy <laughs> Salmon I, is so good. I love the juxtaposition of this. Hitler, yeah. Yeah. Happy <laughs> Salmon. <laughs> yeah. Happy Salmon was like, so I worked at a game store for a summer a couple years ago, and it's something I recommend all game designers do for a short stint so you can understand mm -hmm. the, the product marketing side of things better. And Happy Salmon is the game that taught me how moments can sell games. Yeah. I sold three copies of Happy Salmon every single shift I worked. And all I had to do was encourage, was get someone to play it with me. And two other people in the store would also buy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that I have a very similar experience when we are doing our booth at like PAX and stuff and we're, we have heads will roll um, because like that's a game you play in 30 seconds and it's just like instantly it's a, it's a good experience. And so I think like every convention we've sold like a few hundred copies, which is insane. It just moves so quick. It's so it's such a fun, easy game. But um yeah, Happy Salmon's amazing. And a game that I'll mention that I just played uh, for the first time at PAX East, I think it uh, was released at PAX East, which is uh, We're Doomed by Breaking Games. Yeah. And I really liked it. I liked it a lot. It was intense. So, like, that's another game that has a time limit. You can only play for 15 minutes before you're all doomed. And... Basically, you just you're going around in a circle and you're deciding like how many resources to contribute because you're get you're gaining resources and you're, and you're contributing resources. And the more you contribute, the more seats there are in the ship. The more of you get to survive. So I I got to play a game like last Friday where seven of seven of us are playing, but we're playing for the like the first time with most most people. It's their first time playing, and so we only got enough resources for two seats. Uh, so only two of us are going to survive. And one person had like the most influence points and five of us were tied for second. Oh. And so the, the one other person had to like be, be the deciding vote of who got to get that seat. Um, but it, and so we all gave like a really good speech and that was a, it was a really good ending to that game. So I really liked We're Doomed. Games like that kill me inside. I'll be fully honest. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fair. I mean, everyone you know, has different games. I think uh, a good game, if that, because yeah, so someone did describe that game as an anxiety the game. Because I'd be like, <laughs> it might, it would break my empathy. <laughs> Just yeah, like... yeah, 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 for sure. I I got to play We're Doomed at Pax East as well. Actually, at the event where I met Nick, um, and like 
the crazy thing for me about that game was sitting back and realizing, hey, if all eight of us just actually worked together, we could probably all get out. It would be yeah. fine. But we and don't. Like, we brought this up to Peter. We are like, how did you not, like every game designer in the room was like, Peter, how did you not see this obvious flaw in the design? He was like, people don't work together. Yeah, we had, we had the same We've, conversation. You know what? Like, I, let's see. Sorry, I was going to oh, say, sorry. I think it's how I you prime say. people too, right? Like if I yeah. primed you to say, there's a chance all of you could survive, a chance none of you could survive, see what happens. Totally open, you might work yeah. together. If I said to you, this is a competition, you may not all survive, how do you already start? In competition <laughs> mode. I like yeah. I think the setup matters a hundred percent. Like again, because I don't want to get into like if people are inherently bad or good here. Cause I think it's like <laughs> how you set people up into a game. Like if I that's why you know you, you have one certain expectations of like if I'm going into a game, I at least need to have an, a general idea of what am I doing, right? Yeah. And why am oh, I yeah. doing it? And so if I have a different expectation of why I'm doing something, I might be a lot meaner than a game where I was basically implied not to do that. Yeah, that's all yeah. I was gonna say. <laughs> and it, it's and it's hectic. Like the last minute, all of a sudden, it's becoming more and more clear who's going to get a seat and who's not. And you abuse that information. You're like, I'm, I'm gonna nuke them. Then I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that they don't get a seat. I'm gonna take their seat. So I think that game is a lot of fun. If you want a, if you want a less intense game, um, I'd recommend Bloom, which is on Kickstarter yeah. currently by uh, Yanaguana Games, which. Uh, you know, I designed a pin for. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shout out for the pins again. It's no, about, about uh, flowers. Pin culture is huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I started realizing that more and more, how generally big pin, pin culture has become yet again. I love the resurgence of retro things, but like we've taken it to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. We, we sure have. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just still having a quick check like what's going down the side here. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> it's oh, all good. is there there are we're putting up a poll right now whether or not Nick should have wear a penguin costume to Gen Con? Is that what's going on here? Oh, no. I think I think that <laughs> I think Sen has done that. Yes, he has created such a poll. So there um, is now a poll if you'd like to go vote. So you know what? This is a great chance to just give a quick shout out if you haven't been onto it yet. Uh, maple syrup talk, uh, shop talk is a great way just to kind of bring up questions have little discussions on stuff we poll about information apparently whether or not someone should also be costumed as a penguin uh and i'll also say our, one of our big new year's goals was we said we'd really like to get to a thousand people for our yeah. facebook page and we are very close to that we're at 925 yeah. so thank you to every new person in the last couple of weeks we've got a lot of you guys have kind of been trickling in so hello to all the new people um and in that in the time that we plug shop talk uh we've got another audience question um yeah. do you ever get artist block and how do you deal with it um <laughs> as an artist i get this question a lot actually and the answer is no i never do um and yeah. the reason I don't is because I legitimately draw about 10 hours a day. Uh, like you can't so stop. Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. It's like the entirety of my income. So I really can't stop. I'm not allowed to stop. Uh, so yeah, never dull moment. I'm working on so many projects at the same time. I think that in the past I've gotten artist blocks for sure, but uh, 
like the past two or three years, I've been working far too continuously to have it happen. Mm -hmm. But the answer is almost always just to draw more anyway. Uh, because I think you like you can very easily psych yourself out and think that you have artist block when r really it's just like you're impatient because drawings never look good immediately or they often don't. So you just got to keep working it. And if that one sucks, you know, you draw, keep, you draw something else. Uh, it's always the ability doesn't actually leave you. It's that you've gotten too impatient with not seeing immediate results. So just keep drawing. And then so it'll, just see how it look on you'll it. be happy soon. <laughs> yeah. We'll never really be happy, happy, but you'll be happy enough soon. <laughs> <laughs> no happiness guaranteed. Just exactly. Yeah. That, I think that's good general advice for dealing with creativity blocks. You know, just, yeah. just keep working. So. Keep making stuff anyway. I, I was going to continue because I think this might be a good segue a little bit is we really like to talk this episode. We like to talk a lot often about design uh, and what you have is a really interesting relationship because you have a relationship with designers. So you're not only just as like the, the artists and the, but as the publisher. And so, I mean, you, you kind of already talked about your approach by, by the uh, brother team, right? Which I think they, they've, they've done more than one of your games now yeah they've done all, they've done all our games so far well pretty much so dragoon and human era are designed by uh zach and jake given as well as life siphon heads will roll is done by uh matt fantastic and alex cutler and metal is done by jordan draper so i think what would be nice to hear and one of i mean a lot of our audience tends to be designers or aspiring designers uh, that would like to be published so it's always nice to hear kind of like what's the relationship like between you and in the designers like how is that kind of work and what is your kind of give and take uh because you do serve two roles so we can kind of get from both sides it's always nice to hear an inside perspective on what's it like to work with designers and what are the expectations well i have very limited insight into mostly our our own designers who uh they're brothers so we're in a slack <laughs> channel and we talk like constantly all day long so it, they're they're a pleasure to work with um it's really funny watching them throw out ideas to each other and they're really good about note taking so like you you just see like so many long long slack messages of like high-end mechanics and uh stuff flowing through and they, they, they're they're fun to work with I, I would say for sure um because of our unique relationship i think they're like especially receptive to what i have to say as an artist and how that changes uh you know stuff on their end and how the things that they change with their mechanics and gameplay stuff can affect stuff on my end it's very different than a, a different uh than the traditional scenario where designers you know they, they make the game it's done and then you send it off to an artist and you it's like spec work and like we need this many cards this many this this many that at these exact dimensions and because we're all collaborating basically from start to finish there's a lot more uh, experimentation and you know room to to wiggle and we'll we'll change the dimensions a little bit we'll change entire shapes we'll change material we'll change how things work uh, entirely and that's a really cool situation to be in and as far as like other designers we haven't worked with too many other designers that like aren't just personal friends of ours yet but we're mm -hmm. hoping to t uh, change that in the near future we're gonna start taking pitches from aspiring designers and hoping to publish more games. So that's going to be a big, <laughs> a big, you know, new thing on our end 
and, and that'll be a lot of fun. And I, I hope that we get some really cool pitches and we, we do have, we're honing in on what we're like looking for in particular right now, mm-hmm. but I definitely in general want to hear from, you know, pretty much anyone, but like, especially if you want cool art and probably metal pieces, uh, we're a good publisher to talk to. <laughs> and if you want penguins, stay away. Just stay, stay. Oh, well, forget it. I'm not going to talk to you. Um, <laughs> when's the, do, do you have a sense of like, are you, do you expect to be taking pictures at conventions this summer? Should, should interested yeah, designers start reaching out to you and making plans or just yeah, keep it on? They, they can start right now. We're going to do something more formal in the not so distant future. Um, anyone can email us anytime about anything at hello at laywaysgames.com. I think the soonest we'll be taking formal pitches will be probably Origins. Origins and Gen Con, the next two big conventions that we'll be at. Still pretty soon. Yeah, very soon. We'll we'll make some time for designers that want to show us some things. So I think one or two of us are going to go to Origins, and I think most of us, most of us will be at Gen Con. So if you want to reach out to any of us. Say again? In penguin suits. In... We'll see what the post the poll says, you know, because uh, by the way, I penguin with Reptar because I already okay. own a Reptar suit. Well, there you go. I I figured out what my um my, my issue was with my audio. I had another uh, page of this open somewhere. If you're going to be at Origins and Gen Con, what's always helpful to know uh, from publishers is sort of where they're going because then that really tells us what kind of games are they kind of looking for, right? So, uh, I mean, a lot of times designers will look at a catalog and say, oh, this is what you're looking, this is what you want, but it's kind of what they already have. So we always like to hear is, what are you looking for? What's coming next? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. That's something that we don't have set in stone right now. We have a pretty good vague idea of what we're going to be telling people that we're looking for. I think in general, we don't want to make a game that costs more than $70, for instance. Mm-hmm. We want it to, to be more accessible. We want a game that probably doesn't take super long to play. Um, but really, we want some, something that's more unique, something that uh, hasn't really been done before, and something that I personally think would really benefit some really cool, unique art, something... Uh, we want we want to like push the boundaries a little bit more. I think generally, and we're want, we're looking for designers that also want to do that. You know what? They think this is a perfect opportunity. Also, talk about the fact that you guys don't seem to be afraid of some unique component parts. So maybe on the side, yeah. why don't we talk a little bit about uh, kind of metal and what that took to put together? Because that's probably a Kickstarter horror story to most people that worked <laughs> out. So I, I think it's, and it's always great to know as a designer when you're like, oh, but we always say to ourselves, like, nobody's going to want this. It's expensive. It's this, it's that. It's good to know when a publisher, and there are a lot of publishers out there who are like, let me see what I can do. And so it's good to know that they're out there. And so I think this would be probably a helpful story to understand a bit more about what you guys are going, willing to go through for the games that you want to put out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll go to very extreme lengths. I don't know if anyone knows. I mean, some people definitely know the story. I don't know if it's very popular. I'm sure it's not. Uh, but like the original Dragoon, when we made that out of metal pieces, we had the metal pieces done locally in uh, Rhode Island. So we would like rent a van, go to Rhode Island, and pick up thousands of pieces of metal at a time 
drive back to Massachusetts in our warehouse and hand pack the games. Like thousands of games are like hand packed. So we'd be at shows and the, the and people were kind of like, why isn't this game, uh, you know, wrapped in plastic? And it's like, because we packaged it ourselves. <laughs> we, didn't we didn't buy that machine that yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had the machine and we're like, oh, this takes, this takes so much time. This isn't worth it. It's already taking us uh, like 40 hours a week just to pack these games. Our first PAX East was, uh, or maybe our second PAX, our first PAX East where we were selling Dragoon was insane. It was, it was like everyone was in the, in the warehouse just packing as many games as they could for like seven hours a day. Uh, so we, we'll, we'll go to extreme lengths for sure. Metal actually wasn't uh, too difficult. We had a lot of really, really valuable help from our manufacturer. We had Panda help manufacture that one. And, you know, there's like some back and forth, some things need to be changed, some some metals got tweaked. I think the box went from steel to aluminum for a variety of reasons, but Wait. really it wasn't <laughs> nearly as much of a headache as it could have been. So it it was, that was like kind of an experiment on everyone's end. Panda was like, we've really never done anything quite like this. Obviously nobody had, because it's a sort of silly idea. Um, but the, so the end product for. looks awesome. I got to see it. <laughs> I got to see it at a PAX East for the first time because I have like a prototype version. But the final version is really, really nice, and people are gonna really like that. I wish it was a little bit more popular than it was on Kickstarter. But I think like once people will see the final version, it'll it'll grow in popularity because it's a real steal at uh, whatever price it is. <laughs> totally forget <laughs> whatever it. price it bucks. is. But it's. Yeah, it's a bunch of metal though. The games are so much fun. It's it's a really good time. I played it a bunch at uh, Unplugged last year. It was great. Um, so, are your games transitioning? Like, are are they available retail? Is it more like online store purchases? Like, kind of how is your stream for Kickstarter working? Well, so far we've been mostly selling uh, direct to consumer ourselves. Not a ton of distribution. Not a ton of retail. Uh, and a lot of that was. Because for so long, Dragoon Gold Edition was our was our you know big game being sold, and because we're hand packing them, we can't put into distribution with the same ease as just a completely uh, mass produced kind of game. Uh, but now we're we're starting to be get more into distribution and retail, so you can't find our games uh, places. But it's still easiest to get it from us directly at like laywastegames.com/store. That's always a safe bet. If you can't find it anywhere else, I think, uh, you know, that'll change in the future. It'll be easier and easier to find our games. But as of right now, it is probably easiest just to get it from us. Um, at conventions, if you see us at a convention, buy our games. I think that's always fun because we work our own booth. And I feel like a lot of times people don't realize that <laughs> who we are. It actually happens all the time. People will walk by and they have no idea that, like, the people talking to them and selling their games are, like, the designer and the artist. They just think we're like booth help that got hired. <laughs> like, you know, no, no, no. Like, we do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's us. Uh, we do it all. That's why you need to be on shows like this so people can see your face. That's right. We we, yeah. need, we really need to like up our popularity game uh, tenfold, and then then people will know who we are. Uh, just for your next game, make the art just all of your, your faces. Face. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's your box cover. Jordan Draper did that. Jordan Draper on one of his games is just like a big photo of his face in the top left side. It's great. Yeah, Jordan's um, something special, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I had a face like that, I would definitely put that on a box. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so we're running out of time. I mean, this has been amazing. Just talk, 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 talk. There's so much. 
to know about Nick Nazaro and all the stuff he does, like dressing up as penguins. I mean, it's awesome. So which we he want, will do. yeah, which he will do because the poll said he should. Um, now I just want to end the show because we're about at that time. It's amazing. Uh, when we have guests on, we ask them to come on and give us a piece of information for, or a piece of question or advice for the audience. Um, our audience is typically, you know, designers, maybe some newer designers. What's one piece of information or one piece of advice that you would give them from your side of the table, which is the illustrator or publisher side, to help them make better games even tomorrow or even tonight that they're prototyping? What's one piece of advice? I would say collaborate with an artist. Everyone is dying to, to hire an artist. And I, I think that that's great because I definitely think all artists really deserve to get paid really well. Uh, you know, artists should definitely make their money. It's so competitive out there to make a, a visually distinct looking game. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that if you collaborate with an artist, you know, you, you give them a big chunk of ownership like I got, or you give them, you know, hefty percent of, uh, of game sales, uh, you know, something that's really appealing. None of that it, it, stuff where, you know, this, they only make money. If this makes money, you some kind of weird balance, but uh, don't be afraid to get into like a real partnership with an artist and it can really pay off in a big, big way because better looking games sell a lot better without a doubt. It's kind of uh, almost definitely <laughs> the case. Good art can, can easily pay for itself if enough games get sold, you're, you're doing a higher print run, your cost per unit goes down. There's so many ways that uh, paying big money for, for good art can really pay off. Yeah, because the art you're only really buying once or licensing once anyways yeah. for the period of time. I, I do have a question for you, Nick, a follow-up to that. If you are saying um, that art sells and things like that, and, I, and you are, and it's true, when you are going to take pitches, are you going to be looking for pretty prototypes? Is that a thing? Or do you think you have enough of a critical eye that you can be um, blind to the fact that some prototypes aren't going to look as good as others, but there's still a yeah. good game and it just needs to be arted up by somebody with some talent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question because I think that when, when we're looking at games, I'm trying very hard, especially when I'm personally taking pitches, to envision what my art would look like on that game or what I could make that game look like. And that's pretty easy for me to do as an artist. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, very important. So what they already have doesn't matter a ton. Great. But at the same time, I would definitely suggest that your prototypes, you know, you're, generally you're not pitching to an artist. So your prototype needs to look decent. It doesn't need to look finished at all, um, but it definitely helps your chances if it's decent because just good graphic design is going to make it easier to understand what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. The readability is huge. You can't have it be crappy. So just avoid being crappy looking. <laughs> yes, that, that needs to be our pro tip for tomorrow. Avoid yeah. being crappy. <laughs> just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, it applies to everything really. Uh, <laughs> But really, like, really crappy does. graphic design will like make your game hard to understand and hard to play, and it's gonna make it less fun to play, and it's not gonna go over as well. So you want like the best experience you can as easily as you can, 
and that usually requires at least pretty decent graphic design, even if you have no art. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I, I think as my, my last follow-up question to that is in when you are going to be taking pictures, is there an expectation that a person knows about the lay waste overs? <laughs> or is it something that you are going to have a style guide for or a lore guide for? What do you think? Do you want to keep all the games in yeah, the is the, universe? Is every pitch in the future going to be in this universe? Um, definitely not necessarily. Uh, I don't think that, you know, we can probably suggest it if we see like a good opportunity, like, oh, we could fit this into our universe in this way. And if the designer is like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds cool. I mean, I think that like us as publishers, it's going to be, we want a pretty collaborative um, relationship. We don't want to just be like, all right, here's your percent. Everything is ours now. We're going to do whatever the heck we want. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be too much like that. So if, if everyone's on the same page about it, that would be great. But so I, you're, I you're saying there's a chance that we can see there's like- There's always a chance, yeah. A, there's a penguin a chance. <laughs> so guys, all your happening. penguin games, this is where they go. Yes. So all, all, Igno the, all, the, all the ignore brain games. Waffle. Ignore brain games. All the penguin who, games who are actively using penguin games. <laughs> We're gonna go everybody bring them over here. Yeah. If you bring, if you wear that suit, if you yes, wear that yes, suit, yeah. you are getting penguin games. Yeah. Mm. That's that's a disincentive to for, to wear the suit though. No, you but you want the penguin games. People apparently no, love he, penguins. Have we not, not learned the, the moral of this story? Hang on. The, the moral of the story is people love penguins. Why are we not I giving thought the moral the of the story was that penguins make good April Fool's jokes. That's probably yeah. more of the is, story. Is it real April Fool's joke or is it people really want it? I don't know. Oh, right. oh, okay. I do have one last thing. Sorry, sorry. Just because I was off the mic for so long, I, I feel like I haven't had my say. Um, no. It's not really my say. It's a question. So before when you were saying, Nick, that you know you want to get in a relationship with an illustrator and that it shouldn't be, you know, if this makes money, you'll make money. What is that relationship look like? like? Dollars and cents, what's the breakdown that you would say is, is acceptable and respectable of an artist's talent, yet still respectable for a designer or a publisher to say, look, I don't have any money now. Do you want to do this together? Or, you know, exposure, obviously, exposure bucks pay for nothing. But how can yeah. we how can we work a relationship out? Because so, you know, we've, we've done a project. We did a project just a couple weeks ago, um, like a couple months ago, really. And we paid the artists up front and we paid them in 50 on and then 50 when their part was done, 50%. And yep. then the publisher said, no, we're canning that project. And yeah. so our budget, we put out all into the artists because we also believe artists should get paid, but we're also artists, right? We're all designers are artists. We're creating a game yeah. that's a work of art. And so it's, it's, it's actually really funny uh, I've looked at lines, uh, sales lines for games, and uh, you know who ends up making out like a bandit if uh, you know if the game doesn't do well? It's the artists and the graphic designers because they get paid oh, in full. Oh, they pay up front. Yeah. No matter what happens, the designers who are waiting for that six percent or seven percent or eight percent or nine percent or whatever it is on the end, they're the ones that get shafted. And then obviously, you know, the publisher, depending on the level of the print run, may feel a little shafted by it uh but anyways it's a really interesting thing that the artists 
because they're a known quantity and the game actually can't go to print without that art. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a vital piece of the process. You can't skip it. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I think that it's very different for indie publishers who have never made a game and they're very new to design and they just want to put a game out there because they have a cool idea. It's very different than um, the publishers that do have budgets who are paying artists up front. Mm -hmm. And I think that my advice was more geared towards the absolute newcomers who barely have a budget and they're trying to do it on the cheap. And I think that they'll never really find the success that they want to find by being cheap because you're going to sure. end up with um, probably a subpar looking product. And there's a lot of games getting put on Kickstarter that don't look great. So yeah. So would you say partner? And, yeah. 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 With the partnership, what would it look like as an artist? What would you yeah, accept? I mean, not, it could be, not, it could be a 50, not you day. Right. Exactly. Okay. Would that be 50-50 yeah. of the profit? Would you, would you have wanted to be paid a little bit up front? Ideally, yeah. ideally. I mean, if it's if it's a 50-50 thing, you're probably it's probably with the understanding that, you know, we we're both together living and dying on whether this succeeds or not. Right. Um, and that's a fair thing to do. You, it's, but like obviously not every artist is going to go for that. I would say a lot aren't, and a lot can't because that's yeah. that's maybe money, and it's hard yeah. to work for maybe money without right. need rent. already having yeah. definite money. So yeah. it's not a position that a lot of people could even accept. I just think that um, it's a potential solution to the problem of being you being an indie designer, not having a path to a good artist because you don't have any money, but you still want to make a game and you have no other alternative. Not like it's a last resort type thing. It's just another path you can take. Um, mm -hmm. And it's sort of how... I ended up becoming co-owner of uh, Layways Games. Yeah. You know, they didn't have upfront money. Uh, I had like a guarantee of how much money I could make. And I got, you know, more of the Kickstarter did better. And I got co-ownership of the company. And that ended up working out really well in my favor. And it could have gone really badly. Right. Um, or not too badly since we had a minimum in place. But you, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, indie designers out there who've never done this before, who don't really realize that the artists that they want to hire are a lot more experienced and skilled uh, at what they do than what you are currently at like game designing. Yeah. So they deserve, you know, something good as well. Uh, and they're going to play a huge role in, in they're hugely responsible in the success of your game if your main thing is especially Kickstarter, which is like basically just you're selling the idea in a visual platform for a visual product. So your visuals matter. Right. And people are going to see it and they're going to click on it and they're going to pledge based very much on what it appears to be. Right, so, uh, because it's, it, like, it's not a real game yet. Mostly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we're changing more and more away from that. It's rare that things go up that are like basically conceptual anymore. But you're right. Kickstarter as core is a insanely visual medium that if you do not, if you do not win with your with your graphics, with your visuals, with your standout, you, you yeah. can't survive that 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 world. I mean, it's pretty true for selling anything. All of advertising and marketing is it's all visuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And aspirational stuff that don't matter <laughs> yeah 
All right. Well, excellent. Thank you, Nick, for joining us this Wednesday. We really appreciate you being here. Um, it's nice awesome. to finally talk to you, and we'll hopefully see you around in a penguin suit. What do you say? Penguin suit? Uh, who is supplying this penguin suit? I don't know. Daniel Zayas is maybe. Where do you get know. your reptile suit? To, we're going to have to run a, a, a Kickstarter for a penguin suit. A Just for the penguin suit? suit? For Nick. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see someone what we can said, do about that. Someone has said in the chat that a tux would be enough because it's that was, already that a penguin suit. Of, of course, Daniel. He said yeah, I'd settle for a tux, so, to be honest. No excuse. I do have a tux, <laughs> but it's burgundy. So it oh, my. Work. But you this should is still getting wear better that. and better. Can you can now be Willy Wonka? Right. Mm, that's kind of totally that's so many possibilities, guys. Because they both they waddle. <laughs> and on that note. And on that note, we'll say goodbye to you all. Thanks, Meeps, for watching. Uh, Daniel, Jesse, um, Fernandez. Let's see who else is here. Um, Peter Vaughn. Edgen Hahn. Yeah, you do. Marshall Britt, Jason Wiseman, Brad Batchelor. Mike Eckert from uh, Kublacon. Sir Bob. Most of these people. <laughs> I know, and they love you. They're saying, hey, uh, David Tome, uh, David Madden, everybody who's out there, Jamie Jones. Thank you very much for watching today. And we'll be back next week when I'm not sure what we're doing. What are we doing? We have Bebo on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Games. We're going to talk about go. content creation. Yeah. Perfect. I think she did some content for you, didn't she, Nick? She yeah, did, she a, did, and she did an amazing job. Yeah, so I'll definitely be tuning in and watching that. She's a she's a real rock star. That's hilarious. She just popped up on the feed as her name <laughs> was said. It's like she's like Beetlejuice, 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 Beetlejuice. <laughs> that makes sense right. for a content creator. You type her name and she appears. Yes, totally does. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you all later. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for watching the Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to help support our show and the podcast, please visit www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Syrup. Thank you for your support.